Well, I hope you guys are doing well today. We are, um, I just want to get right in the middle of this this morning. We are in uh, the second week of a four-week study of the book of Joel. And uh, I don't know if you've uh, been reading Joel or not. You know, we talked about reading that as a community. My thing may not work again here. We'll see. There we go. Um, but Joel, Joel is this, um, we call him a minor prophet, you know, and, and we talked last week about the, kind of the offense of that word, like, that any prophet in the kingdom of God would be minor is, is kind of laughable. Um, and yet we kind of call them minor prophets. There's 12 of them in the First Testament. And then what's really funny is because it's in the First Testament, we call it the Old Testament. Therefore, we don't think we have to worry about it. We don't even look at it. It's not our concern. And I'll grant you that uh, the New Testament, man, is amazing. It's all about Jesus and how he's come to save us. And the gospel is there, and yet the Old Testament is all the foundational stuff for this coming of the Messiah, this coming of, of um, Jesus himself. And we're going to see today, I pray, we'll see today some of the ways that this, this prophet Joel began to speak about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. So anyway, we're doing this kind of study of minor prophets, and, um, and uh, so this is, this is what we've been working on, but... Uh, I just remembered something. I wanted to tell you before we got started, you know, um, I know last week, uh, Corey Adolph came up and he, he asked you all to be in prayer. Well, maybe you weren't here last week because it seems that's what's happening right now with vacations. But he asked the group that was here last week to be in prayer um, for the LT, the leadership team of Family Bible Church. And um, I just want to remind you of that. Maybe if you weren't here, I could ask you to be praying uh, for the leadership team of this church. What we, we've uh, realized for a while, I don't know, we were just kind of going along, doing our thing, you know, doing what had to be done. And um, we just found ourselves, I'm talking about the whole leadership team, caught up in all the little things. I mean, every meeting we would have, we would just be little things, little things, little things, little things. And, and, and God began to convict us as a group that we weren't paying any attention to the big things. And that's what really matters. And so, and so we've kind of set out to grow the team. And I don't just mean grow the team in numbers, but I mean grow the team in depth, grow the team in commitment, grow the team in every way possible. And uh, we've been praying for that. And so we've invited you all to pray with us that God would grow the leadership team of Family Bible Church to make uh, us, not us as a team, but us as a body who he have us to be. But you know, it's funny because that's exactly what today is about, this message from the second chapter of Joel. It's about the tyranny of, of tiny things. It's about the overwhelming feeling of all these little things that are constantly beckoning for our attention, saying, look at me, look at me, pay attention, pay attention. And the problem with paying attention to all the little things is we never stop to look at the big things. We never take the time to do it because there's always more little things to look at. And so we don't ever get to the things in life that really, really matter, the big things. As we get into the book of Joel today, I want to uh, remind you and, and myself here that Joel kind of takes three major looks, and this doesn't really go chapter by chapter, it's not clean chapter breaks, but there's three kind of major glances that Joel has. Last week we talked about the first one, which is signs in the time. I mean, Joel knew somehow that this plague of locusts, by the way, this is a real shot of locusts, a locust swarm, which I can't even imagine. Um, you have it in your bulletin, if you grab one of those in your engagement sheet, um, just these hordes of locusts who were consuming everything. And Joel saw that not as just an issue for the time, but an issue for eternity. He saw this as a sign that God was speaking to Israel. 
And so he began to speak about that last week. And so last week we talked about this idea of seeing eternal signs in everyday things. The little warning lights in our life that go off and we just want to, you know, pull the plug. Instead of actually listening to what God is trying to tell us. Well, then this week we're talking about this, this concept and... Um, it's called the day of the Lord, Joel calls it. The day of the Lord is coming, he says. The day of the Lord is coming. And as a matter of fact, if you don't know, we just sang about that in our last song. The day of the Lord. And then the third thing that Joel does, so you can see, I hope you see with me, he kind of takes this present situation and then, and then he says, this is about God. Pay attention. It's really important. Remember what he said? Tell it to your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Tell it to all generations. You've never seen like this. God is speaking to us through these locusts. And then he turns, he says, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And then next week we're talking about, he turns and he says, there's a final judgment that God has over his creation. And he begins to speak about all nations being gathered together for this final judgment of God. So, so that's kind of where we are in the journey these, these three weeks together. But uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, open your Bible with me. But before we do, before we do, let's pray together this morning that God would reveal truth in our hearts. Father God, we just give you praise and glory this day that we're gathered here in your name. That for whatever reasons we've ended up here this morning, that we've landed here, I pray the place that we land this morning is at your feet, at the foot of the cross. That we could know the truth of the gospel, that we could know the truth of the impending doom without Jesus. And that we could turn to you, Lord, and just give you everything and receive your grace. Today, Lord, have your way with us in this time. Do your will. Let your word speak, Father God, into our hearts and our minds. May it transform our lives. We pray these things in the name of the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to start in the second chapter of Joel. Now, this is actually the same page number as um, last week because Joel isn't that long. I told you last week we should be reading this together, and um, I hope you've been reading it this week. And if not, if you weren't here last week and you're like, I didn't get the memo, that's okay. We got two more weeks. So read the book of Joel. And I think in our Bibles that we have out on the chairs there, it's like two pages, two and a half pages. You can read it in, I don't know, what? I would say an hour. I mean, that's because I'm really a slow reader. You know, you could read it pretty quickly if you just sat down and went through the book. And, uh, and I would encourage you one other thing, by the way. If you're reading it and you find yourself overwhelmed with it and you're like, man, this doesn't, I don't get this, re- just keep reading through it. Because what you'll see God begins to do is reveal patterns to you uh, of what he's speaking to uh, through Joel. And so this is what it says. I just want to read the, the opening of the second chapter of Joel. We kind of wrapped up last week with this call to repentance that Joel uh, turned from this, this form of locusts. But this is what it says here. It says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. You see, there's the first time we're going to see this day of the Lord conversation that Joel starts to have. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours, and behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, listen to what it says, the land is like the Garden of Eden, and behind them, it's a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. Cavalry. I always do that. Cavalry. <laughs> right? With noise like that of chariots. I can't relate to that. I don't know what chariots sound like in battle. I'm sure they were crazy. 
They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stumble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. By the way, as I read this stuff, for me, one of the images that helped me kind of connect was the movie 300. You know, and actually, we went through some video clips for 300, but everyone's got their clothes off that movie, and um, I didn't want to humiliate myself <laughs> as a man in front of those. Um, yeah, if you've seen 300, someone, a friend of mine said it's pectastic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so anyway, but there's this idea that in this war, in this battle, there's these chariots that are just clambering, this this kind of heavy metal sounds, and these big shields and swords. And as a matter of fact, the next thing we're talking about, there was a very specific scene in the movie. Where, where they begin to drive the enemy off the cliff and they think, we've routed them, and they just, they just drive them right into the ocean. It's this really graphic scene. And then as they turn and they kind of start to congratulate one another, the sky begins to come, become dark. And they look up and they realize that there are just tens of thousands of arrows. It's been a trap. And if you remember, I don't know if you're fans, but they get down like this and the arrow just all around them and they're hitting the sword and they're sticking and they're, these guys start to laugh which is again why I don't want to be humiliated because I, I would be terrified because there was this onslaught of these tiny things shot from very far away that began to rule this army that could hand to hand out hand to hand combat anybody as a matter of fact one of the things they said is they're cowards for fighting this way fight me man to man this isn't how the enemy fights it's all the tiny things that are pounding down upon us. So this imagery here, this war imagery, it kind of helps us understand. It kind of gets to the point of this big battle, this raging battle here that Joel is talking about. But read on in verse 6 with me. This is what it says. At the very sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge ahead like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. You hear what's happening? This formation. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the walls. They climb into houses like thieves. They enter through windows. Now, I want to remind you of something, what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? grasshoppers, locusts, right? Just these little, just these little bugs that just keep coming and coming and coming. And he's like, they're like the most disciplined army I've ever seen. They're, they're laying waste to the land. Nothing can stop them. We can't keep them out of our houses. They're just running up and down the walls. I mean, I can't imagine what this was like to be attacked by grasshoppers. It sounds silly, doesn't it? Quick, the grasshoppers are coming. You know, I mean, what do we say? Hurry up, close the shutters. The grasshoppers are coming. And yet we find ourselves in the same situation now. So all this talk of Joel, this minor prophet, is about these little things, about this consuming fire, this, this, this army that's coming, that's tearing everything apart. And, and um, I was thinking, uh, you know, about what, what this means. I mean, how, how um, does this still happen in our lives? I, I haven't been attacked by a grasshopper in a long time. Have you? Nobody. You guys are like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe your, maybe your plants. I, my wife has a big battle going on with the, uh, the tomato bugs, whatever they are. You know, there's like this powder. She's, she's fighting this war on our patio. Um, but have you ever been attacked 
by little things. See, I think the truth of the matter is that we are. I think that the truth of the matter is we are. And I brought, I brought something I wanted to show you. And, uh, and it's, it's this idea that I don't know what it is in your life. See, this is the problem. God has brought you here this morning to hear something about your life that I can't really speak into. But I pray you're listening to him today as he speaks. Because there's all these little things in our life. By the way, this is something that I've heard many times. I've seen it illustrated many times. And I want to give credit. Um, the, the guy who really made it popular was Stephen Covey. Have you ever read Stephen Covey's material? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, there you go. I've, I've read it back whenever I was in the business world. And it was just changed everything. But he really made this illustration. Um, he popularized it. But it, it was before him, even, Stephen Covey. And what Stephen Covey said is, you know, and, and uh, is these little things begin to come into our lives. And, and I don't know what they are for you, but they just keep coming. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, what is it? Phone calls. You know, you've got important things to do, and you can't, you can't stop for a minute. But the calls, they keep coming in. Or maybe it's soccer schedules. I mean, have you seen, you know, I was talking to Albert about football starting, man. They practice, what, five days a week in the morning at the night. They're running, what are they called, twice a day or something? I mean, it's coming, isn't it, families? Or uh, emails. You know, that's a bad one for me. Emails, they just keep coming. And, you know, I got this great little thing. It's called Notifier in my taskbar. And every time it goes off, I have to go look at it. It's not enough that you can email me. It's that no matter what I'm doing on my computer in that moment, it goes, pay attention. It's important. And you know what I do if you, you, know, you emailed me? If I didn't email you back, <laughs> you're going to be like, you didn't do that for me. But I usually email you right back. No matter what I'm doing, I stop everything. I go, oh, that's important. Hurry up, quick. Answer the email. You know, there's whatever it is. There's stuff going on, man. We've got to take care of it right now. We're, we're talking about, you know, renovating the house or, or, man, all these things. And they're just piling in all the time. And we don't have time for anything else. And it keeps building and building up. And we just keep taking it. We're like, yeah, we got to get all this stuff done. It's so important. And then finally we're like, there's no more room. We're completely filled up with this tyranny of tiny things. What is it for you that comes like the onslaught of arrows? It just flies down from the heavens. That you can't defend against it. You can't seal your house against it. You can't protect your family against it. They keep coming and coming and coming. Well, here's the problem with the tiny things of our lives. The truth is the tiny things all add up. And they all begin to take up space. And then someday, you end up at a table where you realize that, man, there's some big things that you haven't even had time to think about. You know, like really big things. I don't know what these big things are for you that, that you really need to be paying attention to in your life. But you know, we look at our bucket and we look at the big things, and I got two here, and then there's a couple more. I got six of these things here. And so I'm like, like well, we can get a few of these things in. So I don't know, you know, we can name these things anything you want. You know, I'm going to say the big rock is God. You know, because I'm a preacher. That's what I think, you know. I think the biggest rock is God, you know. But I tell you the problem with God and a life filled with tiny things is it's never going to fit. 
So let's just leave God out because it's never going to work, okay? But some of these other things here, you know, one of the things that, that he actually talks about, uh, talks about is um, the, the important but not urgent. You know, the things that are really important but not urgent and therefore they never get in. And, you know, we can get that guy in there pretty easily. He's going to fit. No problem, right? And then there's some other stuff. You know, maybe this is like your, your responsibilities at work. Not all the things at work, but the ones that really only you can do. We'll put that in there and we can get him under. And then now... Now, see, this rock here is the second biggest. And I'm a, I think this is probably family. And so we'll try to get the family in. But the problem is it all has to fit under the, you know what I mean, under the bucket. And it's not going to fit. So let's leave that out for a second. We've got this weird rock here. And this could be anything that's important in your life, that's really important, that's something that, that you've come to a conviction about that matters, and you try to get it in, and that's going to fit in, and that's going to fit in now. So we got those, we've got four in. That's pretty good, Right? But we still got these couple of rocks here. And this is the problem because, see, most often in our life, this is what happens. It's the biggest ones that we can't fit in, so we just keep setting them aside, isn't it? As the onslaught comes, as the things pour in, we, we put everything in we can. And things like, like what? The important stuff of work actually makes it in the bucket, you know? They're important, absolutely. You have to do them or you won't have a job, right? But the things that we leave out are all too often our family relationships. You know, one of these, one of these rocks I was thinking would be prayer. I think this weird one's a good prayer rock, you know? And we might get it in there, but then the family's out. We could try to take out the work stuff and put in the family, but here's God, and it's just not going to work. I'll tell you the problem with this whole scenario. It's because we have one bucket in our life. That's it. And recently, I've sat with far too many people whose bucket is full and there's nothing left. And they've never, ever grappled with the big rock. And it's pandemonium. There's utter panic. The enemy is coming and there's no hope. I'm sorry, it's because you don't have God. We all talk about that deathbed conversion. I'm going to live my life fast and furious and crazy, and at the last moment, I'm going to say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But I may never go in. So here's what we need. What we need, instead of, you know, some kind of a forced... You know, a hammer. That's what, that's what guys would want, right? I'll bust the rocks up and get it all in there. What we need is a whole new life. We need a whole new container, an empty one, that doesn't have all the stuff in it yet. And then we have to be have priorities about what we put in there next. Whatever that is. But, you know, I must tell you, I'm a, I'm a preacher. You put God in there first. And so we're going to put God right there in the center of it all, right in the bottom. And then the second thing we're going to put in is family. Because you know the first mission field that God has called you to is your family. You know it's easy to forget that. We get so busy doing whatever we're doing in life, whether it's paying the bills or, or I mean, everything else. And we panic about, we're losing the house. Or I'm going to be unemployed. You know what? God has given you a family to care for before anything else. And so we're going to put the family down in here. And even though... Now, this is much easier. 
We're going to fit in. Let's get the prayer rock in there. Maintaining that relationship with God, man, it's so huge. I'm going to get this other one down in here. Even though there's all this room, you still have to be careful about getting everything in the bucket. Now look at that. See? Oh, who, who wants this life? You know? I mean, I'm thinking, I'll just take this. <laughs> get rid of all the tiny things. <laughs> but the problem is that that's a, I don't know, I mean, that's a life of discipline. That's a lifelong lesson right there. But then after we have the big things in place, right? And this is what Covey would say. After the big things are in place, well, then all of a sudden you can start to add in the little things here that don't, that seem to take up everything before, right? And you add them in. And we're going to cheat here a little bit. We're going to jostle this guy around, right? You see what's happening. Look at that. Man, the big things are still in there. Isn't that cool? And then we can keep adding on, you know. See, and this is what Joel was calling him to. He's going, pay attention. Pay attention to the big things. That's what his work was. But I want to show you something here. So as we continue to add on, this is where Covey and I part ways a little bit. It's getting very hard to shake this. I see some places. Oh, look at that. I dropped a rock. I see some places down there where the rocks aren't getting in. Oh, no. Let's watch this. Here's what's going to happen. Where Covey and I part ways as he finishes his illustration. And somehow, by the, manage, the magic of more appropriate planning... All of his rocks fit in. But I said we part ways here. Because I think at the end of the day, all the tiny rocks don't fit in. And I think at the end of the day, we just wipe them away. Because the truth is, when we're there at that place, we realize we have one bucket. All those little things didn't matter anyway. They didn't matter anyway. Read with me what God goes on to say. In the 12th verse of the second book of the prophet Joel, God says this, Even now, declares the Lord, that is Yahweh, Jehovah, we sang to him earlier, Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Listen to what it says in verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. That literally means tear it. You know, we sang it, break our heart for what breaks yours. They had this habit whenever they would find themselves in a real predicament, Israel. The way they would demonstrate that is they would take a piece of clothing and they would just tear it in front of everybody fine clothes and they would tear them and here God says don't rend your clothes but rend your heart break your heart for what's breaking mine the destruction of the tiny things the devastation caused by all these little things that keep picking and grabbing and calling to you and look what it says 
return with to me with all your heart. That means turn again. Turn again to God. That's the offer that we have this morning. The offer from God. I want to show you the twist here. Because it's easy for us to be like, man, those little things, we should get rid of them. And that's kind of what Covey does. Like, you know, he actually writes some spiritual materials, but he's just like, you know, just do it no matter what because it works for everybody. But here's the catch. If you're a follower after Yahweh, the creator God, the true God, look at what it says. Let's read in verse 10 of the second chapter. It says this, before these tiny things, the earth shakes and the sky trembles. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. Remember those arrows coming down, totally blacked out. This is what it says in verse 11. Yahweh thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mightier those who obey his command. Why? Because great is the Lord, the day of the Lord. It is a dreadful day. Who can endure it? The truth of the matter is that the master behind all the tiny things that are eating us up is God himself. And he's saying, pay attention. Repent. Turn. And get me in your life. He's saying it to them And he's saying it to us. We would be deceived to think that the tiny things are the issue. The tiny things are there as a warning to return to God, to turn to him. It says, even now, in verse 12, doesn't it? No matter where you are, even now, God's beckoning you to return to him, to turn back to him, to stop with the petty things of life because they're empty. And reprioritize your life around him. I want to close with this thought. The day of the Lord is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This coming day that Joel proclaims and prophesies about is the day of Jesus Christ. And we talked about this before, actually. Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you know what scripture that's from? That's from the Gospels where Jesus comes to Jerusalem riding on a donkey and they're waving palm branches. Do you know why? Because they know the prophet Joel. He's not minor to them. And they know that when this Messiah comes, when this rabbi comes, when the anointed one comes, the army is behind him. Can you just see the imagery in your mind? As I began to pray and study this text, I began to see Jesus coming. And those who had eyes to see what the anointed would bring saw the locusts behind them, destroying everything because they were ready for a fight. They were ready for a war. They were ready for a battle. And yet when Jesus came to town, we know how it ended. He didn't draw a sword. He didn't thunder in a chariot. But he died for you and for me. I want you to think with me for a minute about the things that Jesus stopped doing. He stopped doing miracles. He stopped feeding the hungry. He stopped healing the lame. Can you imagine? Jesus says in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, when the crowds follow him across the sea because they're after him because he had fed 4,000 with a couple of loaves the day before, they follow him and when he get off the boat, he says, the only reason you're following me is because you think I can fix your temporal problems. You think I can fix the things, the needs you have right now. That's why you're following me. 
But Jesus knew he was called to bigger things. You follow me because you want food, you want wine, you want healing, you want whatever it is that you're seeking, that you've seen me do, the miracles that I performed. But he was called to one big thing. And it was huge. At the time when Jesus died on the cross, even the disciples who'd been with him for three years went away because they thought, what a waste. He had so much potential for bigger things. And as he died and was laid in the tomb, in three days raised again, he performed the greatest miracle that you or I ever know. He paid the price for our sin. And that, my friend, is why you need that big rock in your life, Jesus Christ. You need to know him so that when you come to the end of your days, you know that your sins are covered in him. You need to know that he is in you and you are in him. You can have absolute confidence before God the Father, the Holy One, who commands the locusts of our lives to have absolute peace. So here's the opportunity today, and I want to pray before we receive this. The opportunity today is a table that's set not by us, but by God. And it's set for you today to make a decision, to commit. Will you receive him? Or will you just hold on to the tiny things and pass by salvation again? Let's pray together. Father God, we give you praise and glory because of the great work that Jesus did. He did it for me. He did it for every sinner who would turn to him. In this hopelessness of tiny things, Lord, we can have the greatest gift of all. I pray today that you've worked in hearts, that you've changed minds, that you've called sinners to repentance today. And I pray today, Lord, that we would receive that, that we would accept it, and that we would live in it. That we would know your salvation. Know the great big promises that you have for us. And Father, today, if we dare, come to your table and take your bread. I pray that by your power and by your spirit, you would be central in our lives. And that we would just let everything else fall away. We begin to orient ourselves properly as creatures of the great creator. May you be glorified. May Jesus' name be lifted high. We pray in his holy name. Amen.